Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. A Baker's Dozen at the Zetland Hotel by Ian Gordon Chapter 12 The Expected Newton Lyman was the final guest to check in to the Zetland Hotel that fateful evening. He had, however, been lingering in the vicinity of the hotel for most of the day, was parked on an esplanade bench when the excitable Ian MacDonald arrived, found himself planted between two trees in the neighbouring Rainbow Park when Julia Carlyle wandered onto the grounds on foot, had his head wedged between the rails of the perimeter fencing when the anxious Lucille Sharples strolled into the building, saw them all arrive, with the exception of the guest in room 13, that is. Newton, a self-proclaimed occult expert, had been on the trail of somebody for many years, an individual referred to in certain circles by the simple moniker Brownie. Brownie, also known as the Shadow Man, was a mysterious figure, the staff of Campfire Legend, a man from elsewhere, it was said, rumoured to visit those in need of deliverance, on cold winter nights. Brownie, whose face was as featureless as the ocean at midnight, was inclined to visit all kinds, the weak and the downtrodden, the corrupt and the sinners, a magistrate in plain clothes, tasked with a simple duty, to offer roads to redemption, to give all, the good and the bad, a second chance. But the burning question was, why? Theories abounded, Brownie was an apparition, a figment of the imagination, the product of collective hysteria, as he often appeared to many. The Shadow Man just wasn't of this earth, an alien being with a mysterious interest in this pale blue dot. Brownie was merely a charlatan, a fraudster capable of cold-reading guilt in order to proffer steps for repentance. But regardless these theories, banal or fantastic, still implored of the theorist, why? And what of the strangeness associated with this peculiar individual, the unusual occurrences later committed to the pages of paranormal journals and supernatural surveys, the black-eyed kids and the out-of-place artifacts, the monstrous cryptids and the lights in the sky? Coincidence? Or did the very presence of the Shadow Man trigger these events? Newton Lyman was obsessed with Brownie, had been searching for him for almost seven years, listening to the weird stories recalled in quiet drinking holes, when the punters therein could remember that was. "'He'll have a letter with your name on it,' one tipsy gent had said to Newton during his investigations in the Midlands. "'Knows what you've been up to.' warns you against getting up to it again. Brownie, it seemed, had unfathomable insight. But how, and again, why? The man with the sandy hair and rough complexion had come to the Zetland to find out. A recent conversation with a young lady in the Cumbrian town of Maryport 
had revealed a remarkably interesting morsel of information. She'd once spent a night at a guest house in the forest of Boland, a guest house operated by an individual she described to be a very unusual and notably quiet man in a brown suit. The lady had been disturbed in the night, she said, when something had been slipped under her door a little after midnight, an envelope with her name on it, the letter within outlining an intimate knowledge of an affair she was having, of the hurt and suffering she and her lover were causing the unwitting parties. The lady had kept Brownie's letter, and it was the first Newton had laid his eyes on. Such precise cursive, such damning words. Later, Newton paid a visit to the guesthouse in the forest of Boland, the Hodder Lodge in Newton in Boland, no less, the absurdity of the village name describing his situation not lost on the investigator. But there was no record of a man matching Brownie's description having ever operated the lodge. It had been in the same family for over three decades, but there had been some unusual activity there over the years, phantoms spotted in the corridors at night, indistinct voices whispering in dark corners, the usual run-of-the-mill stuff for the most part, with the exception of a journal that had apparently been left behind by a guest one evening, or so the owners presumed. This journal, a book of some fifty pages or so, was filled with what appeared to be gibberish scribble, shapes and patterns the likes of which a practising doodler would be very proud, apart from two very distinct words on page thirteen that, when shown to Newton, stood out like a skyscraper in the Cotswolds. Zetland Hotel. What this implied, Newton wasn't sure, but it became his new obsession. There were several hotels by that name, predominantly in the northeast, but it was the original Zetland Hotel in Redcar and Cleveland, overlooking the North Sea, that the investigator was drawn to. He read everything he could on the hotel, unearthed historic volumes dating back to the time of its construction, spent time with the Heritage Society in Saltburn, read the travel books as penned by wealthy vacationers in its heyday. And it was in the pages of such a book that the very first account of strangeness met his greedy, searching eyes. One Charles Allen Smith wrote of a painting, a portrait of a mysterious subject, unknown to the proprietors at the time. Newton found this to be particularly intriguing, as the Zetland in the early twentieth century still belonged to the family that had built it, the Davcrofts. If the Davcrofts hadn't placed the portrait there— then who had? Even Smith, ostensibly, had been baffled by the enigmatic portrait, noting in his book, The identity of its haunting subject is a mystery, of a lineage seemingly unknown to the proprietors, a dazzling beauty left her brood in the shadows, of a hand apparently gone from this world. One is seized by the impression that the striking image was forced into the darkness of those upper halls, by way of punishment, perhaps, if that forlorn expression it wears is anything to go by. In the present day, Newton Lyman had attempted to gain access to the second floor of the Zetland on several occasions, only to fail in the presence of insurmountable barriers and watchful camera eyes, 
the current proprietors of the Zetland insisting that the second floor was strictly off-limits, that all items located there, paintings or otherwise, were of great value, and that all items required careful analysis and classification before public access could even be considered. Newton had done all he could, read everything, met with everybody willing to talk, visited the hotel, stayed at the hotel, and yet not once was the elusive brownie even so much as hinted at. But the oddity of the painting remained, a secret he yearned to lay his eyes upon. He often considered a very singular notion. Was the wonder of that shadowy work of art the seed from which strangeness might later grow? And then he awoke one morning, that strange December morning, filled with a perplexing desire to visit the Zetland Hotel once more. He didn't question it, simply climbed into his car, and drove again the two hundred miles from King's Lynn to Redcar and Cleveland. He parked nearby, just a few streets down from that little hillock upon which the Zetland was perched, and loitered on the periphery of the old place, studying. It was different, somehow. All was quiet surrounding the hotel. The esplanade was dead. The little streets, usually busy with pedestrians, were utterly devoid of life. The North Sea was uncharacteristically calm. The wisps of cloud trailing overhead were sluggish and few. Having spent almost the entire day sneaking about, drinking tea from a flask and peeing in bushes, Newton took a deep breath and finally entered the grounds of the hotel proper. He passed the cars parked there, saw the various suites brightly lit, pondered the gloom of room 13 above the entrance. He stepped into the reception area, and was immediately warmed by the bountiful Christmas trees there to greet him, either side of the grand mahogany desk. And then he saw him, the man he'd chased for almost seven years, knew it was him instantly. The brown suit and the tidy hair, the plain face and the empty grin. Brownie, he all but said aloud. What was at work here? Had the shadow man the means to commandeer hotels for his own purposes? Where was Mrs. Anstis, the owner? Where was Mr. Anstis, for that matter? Was it Brownie's presence here at the Zetland today that had summoned Newton, called to him? Was he expected? As if in answer to the occult expert's chain of thought, the stationary hotelier said, Good evening. Looking for a room for the night? The perpetual grin that adorned the man's face filled Newton with trepidation. Ah, yes, he managed, eyeballing the key rack to the rear of the hotelier. He saw that only one key remained, the key to room number twelve, the last available suite at the hotel. Serendipity? Or something else? Splendid, sounded the plain-faced man. Your name? Uh, Lyman. Newton Lyman. He couldn't be entirely sure, but the occult expert could have sworn that the hotelier started adding his name to the guest book in front of him a mere fraction of a second before the words left his mouth. 
Listening to the not-too-distant sound of a camera clicking on and off, Newton followed the hotelier upstairs towards room twelve. He found himself in a sort of trance, his eyes glued to those neat brogues, the uncreased suit, that stilted gait that was almost inhuman. He was in the company of Brownie, at last. Allowing the plain-faced man to conduct a tour of room twelve, he continued to follow him around the suite, studying his every move, his every word. Even the way his lips moved troubled him. Here were lips that struggled to form certain shapes, behind which a bothersome tongue flapped about, impeding the articulation of certain consonants. Then Newton blurted, "'Where are you from, if you don't mind me asking?' "'From?' came the flat tones of the hotelier, apparently unfazed by the question. "'North, sir.' "'Right,' Newton acknowledged, nodding. "'Scotland?' "'Not quite,' the plain-faced man returned, shaking his head. "'Northumberland.' "'Right,' Newton said again. Then followed the hotelier's warning concerning the occupant of room thirteen, in response to which Newton simply nodded, vowing his compliance. If anything isn't to your liking, Mr. Lyman, come see me at the main desk. To be sure, said the occult expert, and watched the man he believed to be Brownie retreat into the dimly lit corridor. Closing the door behind him, Newton gawped at the imposing grandfather clock in the corner of the suite. It was a little after nine p.m. His mind raced. He'd pursued this puzzling character for years, chased down every bit of information he could on the man, sat with villagers all over the place, listened to their tales with feverish interest. But now that he was within arm's reach of the shadow man, he was at a loss as to what to do about it. The man he believed to be Brownie had said he was from Northumberland, not exactly alien territory, and certainly not a realm of the imagination, but conceivably the origin of a charlatan. That was a real possibility. Naturally, Newton found the hotelier to be a little peculiar, unremarkable, just as all those eyewitnesses had proclaimed. But was he a product of the supernatural? How could Newton be sure? The sandy-haired man threw himself on the four-poster bed. He was knackered. Though unseasonably warm for the time of year, it had been cold enough outside to creep into his extremities. His hands and feet were practically numb. He climbed under the duvet, years of unresolved research clouding both his mind and his judgment. It didn't take long— for him to surrender to the coziness of the nest. With thoughts of neat brogues and an uncreased suit plaguing him, he drifted off. In approximately three hours' time, a gentle tapping at his door would rouse the occult expert from a deep slumber. It's cruel, folks, but we've pranked you. There's still one more episode to go. Join us tomorrow for the 13th and final part of A Baker's Dozen at the Zetland Hotel. <laughs>